Well, we're in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 22. Dear Lord God, we are coming under your word now and we pray for your help. Lord Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the scriptures that we might understand them and be changed. And I pray for help in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what is the common thread with these pictures I'm about to show you, these pairings? Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner, the Montagues and the Capulets. Historic Irish Catholics and Irish Protestants. Palestinians and Israelis. Jews and Gentiles. What is common amongst these pairings is hopefully pretty obvious. They don't tend to get on, these two groups. They need to be reconciled. This morning we're in Ephesians again and we're considering what it means to be reconciled together. Reconciliation is no easy thing to accomplish. Human beings have the potential to do unbelievable, and, and I really mean that, hard to believe acts of willful harm towards other human beings. Would you agree? either physically, emotionally, often from a distance, politically, um, decisions we make inadvertently harm people. As humans, we know how to hurt. And, and we have all been hurt deeply and we have hurt others. And this constant relational friction causes pain and relationship breakdown and it fosters a host of sinful responses, from jealousy to bitterness to anger and rage and all sorts of other responses that are completely unhelpful for human community. We need help often to find peace in our relationships. Last week we looked at the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. And we discovered that each one of us has a broken relationship with not only other human beings, which I think we can all agree with, but with God himself because of sin. It's no surprise that we have been called as Christ followers to be agents of reconciliation because this is precisely what God has accomplished through the saving work of his son Jesus Christ on the cross and in his powerful resurrection from the dead. And so it's precisely what the world needs more than anything. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We desperately need to be reconciled horizontally, and we desperately need to be reconciled to God 
vertically. Amen? And this scripture, amongst so many others, tells us Christ has done all that we need and we as Christians, those of us who have decided that Jesus Christ is both Saviour and Lord, we have been given the task of being ambassadors of Christ, agents of reconciliation. So today in Ephesians, we discover the who of Christian reconciliation, the how and the why. The who, the how and the why. I'm going to read again what Michael read for us in verse 11. Firstly, the who. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's how Paul begins this portion of his letter. Nearly every archaeological remain of an ancient city you visit amongst the, the Bible lands, uh, Israel, Egypt, not so much Egypt, you don't find them so much, but uh, Turkey and uh, Greece, you will find the remains of a synagogue, a fallen down stone hall where Jewish people in the first century and before would meet together to pray and worship and learn from a rabbi. And in these synagogues, Jewish people, Israelis, would remind each other, we are the chosen people. We are different to everyone else. We are God's people. The God who created everything, Yahweh, is our God. We are his people and every other God, with a small g, that all the rest of the nations worship, that little g God will ultimately bow down to our God. We are God's people, and our God is the one true God. And they would remind one another of 1 Samuel, where the Philistine god Dagon fell down overnight at the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant. And this is what Exodus 19 reminds us. God is speaking to his people. He says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. This is the Jews. Although the whole earth is mine, you, my people, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. So, I mean, it's obvious. The Jewish people are uniquely special, which in turn means that the non-Jews, the Gentiles, to our Jew, aren't so special. Yet we come to this church in the city of Ephesus in the first century, and we find many Gentiles have become Christians. So we have this mixture of Jews and Gentiles and their meeting as a church. And Paul is writing to them knowing that traditionally there has been a colossal divide between Jews and Gentiles, but not anymore. Not anymore. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
has already come, lived a perfect life, died on the cross and risen from the dead, and he sent his Holy Spirit, and the church in the first century is flourishing. It's the early 60s AD, and Paul is writing to this new example of new humanity together, and he's saying, that wall between Jew and Gentile, it's gone. You know, it's, it's a really interesting um, backstory that you can discover Who's familiar with the Ephesian backstory? Anyone know exactly where to go in, in Acts? Yeah, a few of us. Luke uh, tells us a lot of detail in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18 and 19. You really, as we study through uh, this book, you really want to go and re-familiarize yourself with what was the lead up to this uh, church being formed Luke tells us that Paul was in Greece, a little bit over to the west from where Ephesus is. He's in Greece and he meets a Jewish couple who were sometimes called a power couple called Aquila and Priscilla and they get saved. They put their faith in Christ, Jewish background, but they put their faith in Christ. They come with Paul on a boat heading east to what we now know as Turkey and they go to that bottom south western corner of Turkey and go to Ephesus and guess what happens in Ephesus? There's a revival there's a revival. God's Spirit empowers the preaching of the gospel. And there is an amazing work of God. These Ephesians, people living in the city of Ephesus, a massive, powerful city, they are steeped in the worship of the goddess Diana. Or another way of describing that god is Artemis. And we hear of Artemis, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And there's a huge economy built around the cult of worshipping Artemis. There are these sort of magical cult items that people buy to connect with their God. Acts 19 tells us of the full-on riot that happened in the establishing of the church at Ephesus when the revival breaks out. The people who are selling their cult items, they don't like the fact that people are getting saved. Pagan um, Artemis, Diana worshippers are putting their faith in Jesus. So this is the background. And then we're told in um, Acts 18 and 19, that Paul leaves the church, jumps on a boat, travels east to Israel, to Jerusalem, and he leaves Aquila and Priscilla to look after the church. Later on, Timothy will look after the church in Ephesus. So while Paul is away, another learned Jew comes whose name is Apollos, and we're told that Aquila and Priscilla sit Apollos down and teach him uh, uh, more clearly the ways of Jesus but they're all Jews teaching in this early church at Ephesus. And so this is the scene that is set for us to be reading in Ephesians. There are strong-minded Jewish people, but there are heaps of ex-pagans who have put their faith in Christ. Lots of strong Jewish roots, lots of pagan roots. But Paul wants everyone to know everyone is welcome in Christ. God is doing a new thing. You guys have got historic reconciliation issues between Jew and Gentile, but everyone can be reconciled here together because if you put faith in Christ, it changes everything. Amen? You put faith in Christ, everything is, is uh, transformed. Those who were far away, outside the covenant promises of the Jewish people with their God, they are welcomed in. So we've been talking about the theme of together this year. And we have a little 
subtitle under that logo that says Gathering the Tribes. Depending on your background, you may find it hard to feel like you belong in a Baptist church. Some of us have a denominational identity that is very strong. We're probably living in a time in the 21st century where denominationalism is on the decline. But you may feel like, ah, oh, look, I'm at this church, but I don't know if I quite belong. You know what? In Jesus' name, I hope you will feel like you belong soon. Because this truth we're reading today is for us today. There is no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. We are one in Christ. And this word together seems like a simple word, fellowship, kumbaya, but nothing could be more profound than the idea of being together in Christ. Some of us are sitting here and we come from alternate religious movement backgrounds. And so you've got to work through, gee, do I, will I ever belong? Some of us are atheistic in our belief and you're moving towards faith or maybe away. We are such a mixture. We have a racial mixture here, which is wonderful. We're working towards appropriating the truth of reconciliation vertically and horizontally here amongst us as a congregation. Together matters. Who can be reconciled to God? All by faith in Christ. We're told in verse 3, by the blood of Christ, we can be brought near. So I hope you can hear that invitation both to community and to a relationship with the God who made you, all through Jesus. How, how can we all be welcomed into reconcil reconciliation with God? Well, verse 14 tells us, For he himself, that is Christ, is our peace. Count how many times you hear the word peace. Who has made the two groups one, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. That's pretty heavy, it's pretty wordy, but it's pretty glorious, don't you reckon? That's an amazing passage of Scripture. So as I said before, the reconciliation Paul is referring to is both horizontal between Jews and Gentiles, between anyone who doesn't get on, that's available through what Christ has accomplished. There is a peace available, and it's also horizontal, just like the, the cross has both horizontal people to people, and us to God vertically. How? The scripture here says, look at it if you have it in front of you. He himself is our peace. You may not pick this up, but this is one of the most glorious couple of verses you'll ever find in scripture. That's a big call. I would put it to you, find me a more glorious verse than 15. In his flesh, he has set aside the law. The Greek word for this idea is katargeo. He rendered inoperative the law and its commands. 
Jesus, because of his perfect, never sinned once, perfect life, and then being able to give his perfect blood, he was able to take, to take the commands of the whole Torah, the Old Testament, every command that God gave to humanity that said, you must do this or you can't be with me. The law we are told in Romans 7 is an executioner's chair. It does nothing but kill people. It is, it's weird. The law is beautiful. David talks about it in the Psalms. I dwell on his precepts. They are wonderful and beautiful. But Paul tells us in, in Romans 7, the law was designed to kill. It never fails to kill. It is a perfect executioner. But it couldn't kill Jesus. Hallelujah. Because he was, he was perfect. He fulfilled the law. Katargeo, render inoperative, to abolish, to annul, to bring to naught. We should say, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. What are you saying, God? Are you saying that when I'm found in the one who is perfect, by his grace, filled with his spirit, sealed by the spirit of Jesus, are you saying <coughs> that you see me as righteous as your son? Are you saying that the Lord doesn't have a crack at me either? Yeah, that's the gospel. Is that good news? In his flesh, he annulled the law. He pushed it aside. I'm not saying we don't have commands to live by now for holiness. That's what chapter 4 is all about and 5 in Ephesians. But this is a wonderful truth that the law has been fulfilled in Christ through his perfect life and perfect death. And by the grace that has been made available through faith, there's this whole group of people called new humans. New humans. The remodeled version. Adam and Eve, Mark 2. New humanity, redeemed and renewed, who are no longer dead in their transgressions and sins in which they used to live. Hallelujah. We're, not long, we're no longer condemned. We don't have a sign over us or, or like, you know, we used to have the stuff that's been around with the flooding, the red and white taping, condemned. No, I'm not condemned anymore. I'm found in Christ. I have been reconciled so that I can be part of what he wants to do for others to be an agent of reconciliation. So let's just think about reconciliation. It's a complex process. This is uh, one of the models used around the world in history to move towards reconciliation. And if Nev can leave that up there for a while, have a look at it. Peace is required first. You imagine that uh, two groups are at war. You could talk about reconciliation, but if you're still shooting, it's a little bit hard to talk about peace. So you have to put the guns down. You have to stop the violence, first of all. But there's a lot of work to still be done, and that's not true peace. That's a ceasefire. But Jesus is about peace. Four times in three verses we just read that you get peace through Jesus. Reconciliation involves a form of peace and then a search for truth, doesn't it? It's like... We're going to stop yelling at each other. We're going to stop bad-mouthing. We're going to stop shooting. We've got to ask the question, what's happened here? What does truth 
look like. So we shine a light and we go, who did what, to whom, when, and why? And when you try to unpack truth in the process of reconciliation, what, starting with J, does everyone want? Yeah, you want justice. It's like, yeah, yeah, now we've seen what was done. Let's inflict some justice. That could be a fine it could be a stern word, it could be a slap on the wrist, it could be the death penalty, it could be a bomb dropped. Justice is pretty hard to work out in a fallen world, isn't it? And that's why in every process of reconciliation, there's something pretty beautiful and required up there, starting with M. Justice and mercy, and in Christ, justice and mercy kiss. It's the beauty of the cross. Absolute justice of God poured out on His Son, meeting out the punishment that was required, yet also <clears throat> demonstrating immense love and mercy. Truth, justice, mercy, Hopefully, peace. Jesus is known as the Prince of Peace. Peace that is horizontal and vertical. We need it. Peace with others, peace with God. The truth of the gospel is that every human being, and you might be a person who doesn't actually know this, but Scripture makes it very clear that every human being has sinned, and that means we have a very bad problem. We cannot be with God forever, and He wants us to be, because sin separates us. And there's only one just response from God to a human being, the soul that sins must die, and that is the punishment, eternal death. No one is good, no one is righteous. You've got to look up Romans 3, if you're interested in what it says about that. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Truth demands justice, but Scripture says that what triumphs over justice? Mercy. Can you see these pieces all together in the cross? There is truth and justice, yet there is mercy and peace, and it looks like a cross. Take the time to look at that and then look at the cross. That's the answer to our problem in humanity. I'm going to put this to you that's very hard. That's the answer, that shape to the to your issue and my issue with those people that you cannot forgive, that you are unreconciled with. Because I've got this hunch that there's no one sitting in this room who doesn't know about being unreconciled. It's just a wild hunch. That we have been hurt and everyone here has struggled to know how to deal with it to a greater or lesser degree. And that process of getting to a place of being reconciled has to go through a cross, has to go through the cross of Jesus. It's how it works. Who can be reconciled? All, Scripture says all. How? Through the life and blood of Jesus and finally why? Let me read verse 19, what Paul says. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together 
to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The answer to the question of why is the word together. Who is it available? It's, it's available for everyone, reconciliation in Christ. Why? Because of what he did in his life and death. But, um, or how? Why? The most correct theological answer, I think, biblically, for why God has done a work through Jesus to save people is the glory of God. Amen? It says in, I think, Isaiah, I am actually giving you mercy for my own sake. I'm saving you for my own sake because I can't be worshipping something other than himself. God is doing this for his own glory. But this is the wonderful part. God is most glorified when he brings people close to him who can see him for who he is. So together, the people of God, together with God, is what this is all about. Again, we come back to this seemingly simple word, together. Reconciliation is about bringing people together with God. Reconciliation is about bringing people together as community. And it's all through Jesus so that ultimately we can experience life eternal. And so Paul suggests this togetherness metaphor of a building, which the church is more than a building, but here we find the metaphor is the building. Christ is the chief cornerstone, and we are being built together around the, the truth of the gospel. And it's like a holy temple is being built together. Uh, this is where the architects get exciting, excited. Gary's come alive. Um, but in the Middle Ages, you can see why for many hundreds of years, the architects and builders said, let's build cathedrals that reach the, the heavens. Because Ephesians 2 says, God is doing a work in his church. And it's like a building reaching up. And so they had all the elongated windows and the spires going up because they're trying to celebrate this fact that the church is reaching to the skies. God desires to be with us. And he wants us to enjoy that process. It's open to everyone, all because of what Christ has done. And this is where we're, uh, we are heading. If you skip to the end of the Bible and cheat, find out what happens in the end. You find that the heavens join up with the earth and it's a symbol of God ultimately being together with his people in a new promised land. New humanity gets to be together with God in a new creation. There's no power of contrary choice in that new creation. There's no sin. There's no tears. There's no sadness. God makes it all work and that's where we are heading so that's a wonderful thing and let me finish just by uh, reminding you of a challenge that comes with all this so isn't it wonderful Jesus has done all the work once and for all we are agents of reconciliation we're ambassadors we're heralds we proclaim what he has done but here's the little catch the way people get a hold of it the truth the powerful truth of reconciliation is connected to Mark 8.34, where Jesus says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That's where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? That reconciliation happens through the cross of Jesus and typically as we carry our cross not to satisfy the righteous requirement of justice of God, but to live out 
the life of the gospel in a cruciform way, in, in a cross-shaped way. It's where we find the power. Jesus hung on that cross and he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. I wonder who we need to say that to in order to move through justice and truth and mercy to get to peace. If we are to be agents of reconciliation, there is a mysterious power that is here about us carrying a cross, denying ourselves. Who has offended you so badly that you have decided you are beyond mercy? As soon as we say that, we push the cross aside and we try to deal with reconciliation in human means and you can never do it. Amen? You can never do it. We need to embrace the cross by the grace of God, knowing that Jesus has paid it all and gives us his spirit that we might walk the same journey. Would you like to stand together? I want to read out over us as the band comes up. Let me ask you a question. Maybe we can shut our eyes. Who do you need to be reconciled with through the power of the cross? The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in us. He is the Prince of Peace. Justice and mercy have kissed in him, in his perfect work on the cross. Who do you need to be reconciled with through the power of the cross? Can I encourage you to ask God to take you the next step towards that? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. May we live up to that call in Jesus' name.